In today's episode, I have the pleasure to talk with Andrew Osler. He is the designer and engineer behind Expert Sleepers, and he had just released three analog modules. And if you would ask me three months ago, what would Andrew release? I would have never guessed there would be an analog oscillator or filter or a phaser. Andrew is known for developing very complex and very useful devices you could use in your setup. Interesting fact, and probably relevant here, Andrew actually worked on Maya in the past, so he designed very high-performance tools for animators to work with. So when I'm thinking about the disting, it's like a workhorse for anyone who is performing with uh, Eurorack synth or composing or anything doing with Eurorack synth. This thing is like a workhorse for anything you want to do. So I can really see the resemblance there. And it's nice to see how from something so complex as this thing, he went into creating analog devices. And these analog devices also have their own twist that makes them novel. It feels like he's working really from a passion of building his own instruments, but also he just really likes a good challenge. And looking into analog stuff, it's not like he didn't build anything with analog electronics before, but building an oscillator or a filter was not really a thing that he played with before working on these modules. So. There are a lot of different things we're covering here, and I think that I'm just blurbing for way too long now. Without further ado, I'm Roy, this is the Synth Design Podcast, and this is Andrew Osler from Expert Sleepers. The philosophy is that I always make what I personally would find useful to have. So it so happens that a long time ago, what would be personally useful to me was some things to control my um, very small analog synth setup as it was at the time from a computer. So that turned into Silent Way and then into ES1 and all those modules. Um, and that's kind of grown from there. But then, you know, what I really wanted when I started making these things was to, to have what I always wanted from a, from a modular synth, which is to have some pure analog sound. That's, that's why I got into modular. Uh, originally, um, it just so happened I didn't focus my efforts on on that because I guess there was plenty of those kind of things around. Well, I guess <clears throat> so. I mean, we're going back a long time here. So compared to today, there was almost nothing around, right? It was it was dirt for all analog solutions, but that already found felt like enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, there is there is the continuance of that company philosophy, but the the philosophy is is very broad and very specific to my wants and needs it ju it just seemed like a um yeah just like getting back to why i thought analog why i thought modular since specifically were interesting in the first place uh which was to have some interesting analog stuff going on um and i guess also having come off the back of um the es9 and then the disting ex which are very very digital products um and really quite complex designs i really fancied a break <laughs> from that kind of um work because the other project that I, I was about to launch into which i will do eventually was e an even bigger digital project um and it just felt like a i would be refreshed by a change hence the analog right. stuff so yeah i mean it, it was it was a lot of fun um i learned i learned a lot doing it actually um yeah very very different to the, doing the digital things yeah did, did you have any experience with analog electronics before um well yeah i mean all of the all the ones i'm calling digital like the the um the interfacing things and the disc thing they're all they all have analog bits in them right they're all dealing yeah, with conversion between the two so yeah I, I, it wasn't all um completely new in that respect but I'd, I'd never built built a filter or an oscillator previously um uh so yeah that was new um and i you know i, I didn't kind of just go out and copy a circuit for a vco <laughs> i was trying to come up with something original or you know what's the point if you're just just doing something that's already been done so that, that was learning as well um learning about those kind of things and learning, learning about the properties of, of components that I'd never knew they had. Um, like even something simple like a diode, I spent a week 
finding just the right diode for, for one of the modules because it really did make a difference what diode you use, whereas previously with with like digital stuff, it's either the diode conducts or it doesn't, and that's basically the end of it. Um, so yeah, good fun. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're looking at the process of designing an analog module in mm. comparison to a digital one, yeah, what's more, uh, what's more interesting for you to to do at the moment? As in, what might I do next? Um, I've been kind of a happy place where it could go either way at the moment. I've got more than, more ideas than I could possibly do um, analog and and digital. So um, yeah, I'll probably I'll probably do some. I've got um, quite a lot of uh, firmware stuff I want to catch up with on the disting and disting ex. Uh, a lot of interesting ideas there, um, and I'll probably keep the analog stuff rumbling along. Um, the thing with anything, certainly anything that requires physical prototyping, there's always this kind of dead week or two or more, even when if you like getting a PCB built or something like that. Mm-hmm. So as much as I might like to plow on with an analog design straight away, there's always these dips and gaps. So things tend to get interleaved. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I don't know, I'd see, see, see where it takes me. <laughs> um, but yeah, certainly got plenty of things to be trying. The, the, the process, is it is it a similar process to design something analog or digital? Um, for me, it wasn't, but that's partly because um, I hadn't really done much analog. I, it was, for me, starting this analog thing, um, oddly, it was the first time I'd ever actually bothered to keep like a engineering notebook you know, just like a book with pencil and paper and actually scribbling things down in it. Um, because there was so much iteration and trying things and trying to remember what I'd already tried and tweaking things. Whereas with the digital stuff, I find it's once you've decided what you want to do and identified the parts that are going to do it for you, it's it's basically like just plugging it all together and then seeing if it works or not. Whereas with the analog, there was a lot more breadboarding um a lot more switching stuff in and out and, and fiddling around so it's actually actually quite different i mean if we're talking about my design process it's a, it has been a completely different uh, process for me doing these analog ones than it than ever was before so whether that will inform how i do other things in the future i'm not sure mm. i think them i yeah i did the digital stuff i can kind of hold in my head or you know put it all in a, a schematic capture program or something straight away but the analog was definitely well I guess analog design in a way and that you know pencil and paper scribbles uh trying to remember what I did a month ago and why that capacitor value was wrong um that kind of thing mm. yeah so the, the process starts with just a notebook and then you go into breadboarding is there any um phase in between that you're creating maybe some sort of like a development board or anything like that? Um, no, not for these analog ones. I went straight to, well, scribble it on paper, breadboard it, see what happens. Um, then after quite a lot of breadboarding for some of the things where it was really sensitive to, um, to component specification or uh, board layout, I made some little kind of like sub PCB assemblies to plug into the breadboard. Um, mm. So there was that kind of stage, uh, and then straight into well, I guess once the design was kind of locked down on the breadboard, then I did like some proper PCB layout and proper you know, building a PCB, which might actually become the product. Um, so yeah. it's like a two stage thing that way. Um, like I said, with often, often with the digital things, I've gone straight, basically straight from idea to production prototype in, in one step and, and then maybe iterated. Yeah. But, but I wasn't able to do that with these ones for sure. These, uh, sub modules you refer to, this is basically like I'll, shall I grab one and hold it up to the camera? 
Yeah. So this is the breadboard for the VCO. Mm -hmm. So if you can see that, like hit, is it all going to fall if I tip it? So here, there's like a wee PCB. So mm -hmm. that was like taking the the transistorized core of the VCO and putting it onto a PCB. Um, because it's very sensitive to stray capacitance. And when you're breadboarding, there's all kinds of horrible capacitance everywhere. Um, it, it really is an awful way to build electronics. So that, that was to kind of go see how good it could be with a, like a realistic PCB layout, just for the bit where it was really sensitive. Um, and also try the surface mount versions of the transistors to make sure they were specified similarly um, to the through hole ones. And what are there? There's like a, there's a couple. There was another one. Yeah, I like there was a surface mount version of the of a particular transistor. I had to plug in on the board. There's a tiny board there, which is a voltage regulator because I wanted to use a particular voltage regulator that only existed in surface mount. So just little mm -hmm. things like that. But the rest of it could be can be breadboarded and yeah. Um, oh, there it is. There's like, it's it's just a little transistor on the thing. So yeah, that's basically all of it. I, that you can tidy up that and turn it into a sensible module is quite satisfying. Um, this is this is the oscillator. This is module. the VCO, yeah. The VCO, yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about the the features that each of these modules have? Um, uh, yeah, or sure. Like maybe a bit more about uh, what I'm interested to know is first of all, were all these features an idea that you had at the beginning and then you went to breadboarding or is it a bit different? Um, I could, let me try. So the first one I did was the filter. Um, and why did I do the filter? I thought, well, a filter seems like a good, if you're going to make an analog module, right? A filter seems to be your absolutely basic thing that you want to have in an analog synthesizer. So I thought I'd build a filter and um, I was looking at various different, um, uh, like building blocks for filters, really. Um, and the thing that struck me when I was looking at these things is that you often get resonant four pole filters mm -hmm. because uh, each pole adds, is it 45 degrees? 45 degrees of phase shift at the resonant frequency which adds up to 180, then you stick an inverter on the end and feed it back and then you've got a resonating four-pole filter. You don't often see resonating two-pole filters no. um, and just like fiddling around with the sums, it occurred to me that you could add two low-pass filter stages giving you two 45-degree shifts and then an all-pass filter giving you a 180-degree shift, no, sorry, 90-degree shift adding up to 180 inverter feedback, and you've got a resonating two-pole. So that struck me as kind of novel. It may not be, I don't know. Um, but most of the filters you see in Eurorack tend to be four-pole. So that's I thought, oh, that's an interesting idea. Why don't we try that? Um, mm. So that's kind of where that went. Um, and then once I had these, and I also thought, why did I do that? Um, it also felt to me that um, a lot of the analog voltage control filters, amplifiers, oscillators and stuff are built, they're basically built from the same parts. Like there's mm -hmm. like two transconductance amplifier ICs on the market. There's um, the, uh, what is it, the SSI, the, the kind of the, the modern reboot of the classic Filter. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. So um, it's super easy just to kind of get your voltage controlled filter chip and stick it on a board and say, hey, I've built a voltage control filter. It's probably not as easy as that. But, you know, it just that just felt a a bit easy and B like it had obviously been done before, because why wouldn't you if you want to build a filter and there's a chip that's a filter? Why wouldn't you use the chip that's a filter? Um, I mean, especially if you're building a polysynth, right, where you just you want to minimize the number of huge circuits. So, um, but again, I that's been done, didn't want to do that. So I thought I'd build my own um, transconductance amplifiers out of transistors. 
probably, I don't know, they may perform better, they may perform worse than, I mean, in some sense, than, than the integrated circuits. But the point was that they'd be different, right? The, 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 you need to be, if it wasn't going to be different, then why was I doing it? So uh, that's why I went down that road. Um, I, I like how the sound has turned out, I have to say. Um, other people have said they like it too, but I like that the point was to, to just to try something uh, original. Mm -hmm. So that was the filter. So yeah, so I had the filter, I did that. So I had the transistorized OTA blocks and stuff. And um, yeah, so then the other two designs, the VCO I did first, and then the phaser are basically reusing those same filter blocks uh, in different ways. So that the, the VCO is basically two all passes um, resonating at their resonant frequency. And then the filter is um, four, four all passes. That's what a phaser is, right? It's, a, mm -hmm. it's all pass filters. So yeah, having that block created in the first place for the, for the filter made the other two kind of natural things to try next, I guess. Mm. Um, and then what, what were we talking about? Features. So then why did the VCO end up like it was? Um, having decided to do an oscillator based on the all pass things, that basically gives you a sine wave VCO, right? Which is, which it's gone. It's because of, you can tap the two different filters. You can get quadrature sine wave outputs which is interesting. Um, but then at the end of the day, all you've got is a sine wave. Whereas most interesting, certainly any subtractive synthesis you want to try and do, you need something a bit more harmonically interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's why the, the wave shape of stuff got added to that. So that you've, as well as having these sine waves, which, you know, with, an, with enough, with you certainly using the cross modulation input and using some FM type stuff, you can end up with quite complex timbres just with the sine waves. But if you want to do subtractive stuff and if you want something that sounds a little bit more like a sawtooth to begin with, then the, the wave shaping I put on it lets you get that as a kind of basic waveform. Um, yeah. And then you've got the fun of modulating the wave shaping. So you've got that kind of timbral and modulation complexity going on as well. Yeah, um, it's interesting that the core is actually um, a sine wave. Yeah, normally the normally it's like a, at a least a triangle. Yeah, a ramp or a triangle is is normal um, mm. with good reason. I mean, they 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 perform extremely well. They're very easy to control. Um, certainly, once you get onto the designs like the the Juno and the digitally digitally controlled triangle ramp, I think they're mm. ramp on the on the Juno. You've got extremely stable and finely controllable um, oscillators but again these things already exist so i didn't want to make another one of those so i thought i'd sort of try something a bit um a bit different mm. so yeah that's why i did that and the the the, the wave shaping's fun i was particularly pleased with the um with the cross mod input on the vco if, if you can it's like kind of a hard sync but with a little bit more controllability and subtlety to it. Um, and you can get all kinds of fun sounds out of that. that that's really, when, when I've uh, been using these things, because I, I, I guess I would stress that at, during the development of all these modules, I've actually used them in my own music just to like prove to myself that they were genuinely useful for something. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So yeah, using using the cross mod on the on the VCO, I had a lot of fun with that. Actually using it in, in things. So, yeah, it seems quite performative. That's that's actually the reason that I asked, especially with the VCO, because the the it's it's quite packed with features, um, especially for the form factor. Yeah, it, well, yeah, I I would say it's about about as packed as you'd expect it to be, but. Yeah, I'm glad you feel it's. I'm glad you feel it's got a lot of features. It's not, you know, you, you see these VCOs which are like twenty, thirty HP, and they're going to have a lot of features, right? This is only eight HP, and it's, mm -hmm. it's you know five knobs. It seems like a acceptable number of features to me. I guess I'm, comp 
when I'm, comp I'm comparing against, I mean, just the way they look, right? They, you, you've mm. got to compare them against the DIRT for modules and against the analog systems Brilliant. modules. Um, and the, the feature density is, well, I guess, maybe very slightly higher. Yeah. But not, not crazily confusing, I don't think. No, not at all. Uh, I I think that for the form factor, you packed it just enough. If you would okay. add a little more thing, it would be uh, probably much harder to uh, to interact with. Well, yeah, and I guess also that the, the, keeping the things to this kind of size and shape, it it keeps it back to what I would consider the original analog idea, really, which is you do have modules, not the original analog, original modular idea, which is things are modular rather than putting 50,000 things in one space. And I realize as I say that, that nobody is more guilty than me of putting 50,000 things in one space. <laughs> but, you know, this is this is me trying to balance balance the karma, I guess. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think, again, I think it makes sense. The It almost feels like, um, I don't know if I'm, uh, if I'm just imagining it, but it feels like you, you, you like a good challenge. Oh yeah. And then every time <laughs> then every time you're just like, okay, been there done that, been there done that. I, I need something new. I'm just gonna go straight analog, just like build my own oscillator from scratch, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I it I mean I'm not working for anybody, right? This is it's me deciding what happens. Um and if I'm gonna the reason I'm doing this is because I enjoy it primarily. And if mm -hmm. if I'm not gonna enjoy it then I could do without all the extra burden of actually trying to run a company at the same time. Um, if I was going to do something I didn't enjoy, I'd go and let someone else pay me to do that. Um, yeah. But no, it's got to be fun. It's got to be interesting. Um, and, you know, it, it may not have gone anywhere, but um, in the end, it, I, I got to the point that I was, had something I was happy to release, so I've released it. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, like I say, got a few more analog things to try. Um, but the the other downside of well, the, the a downside of it being just me is that it is just me, um, and if I don't find time to do something, it doesn't get done. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of things that you know are on the shelf for quite a long time while I get around to it. Is is there a chance we're seeing a, a twenty HP module from you? <laughs> there's always a chance. I mean, what sometimes I think I'll just sit down and make a synthesizer, you know, just make a synthesizer. But that's a lot of work. Um, and it's certainly, I mean, if, if I were ever to venture out of Eurorack into the kind of desktop or full-size keyboard space, then that's a whole quantum leap of manufacturing and regulations and stuff um so it's it, are there more regulations in that sense well if you start including a mains power supply with things for example then mm -hmm. you've got to worry about people killing themselves mm -hmm. um so from that point of view who knows I'll never say never i mean yeah maybe one day i'll actually find someone to work with or collaborate with or something and something Something like that will happen. But at the moment, everything I want to realize can be realized in Eurorack. So keeping it there for now. Yeah, I think any anything can be realized in Eurorack. That's just like building bu building blocks. But if I'm thinking about the fact that you have now all these modules, you actually have all the technology in front of you already. It's, oh, yeah. It's pretty much there. It's about just giving it a, a different form factor and trying to see what would be an interesting um, digitally controlled element or analog controlled element in this large thing that's a bit more uh, uh, confined as as an instrument? Yeah, indeed, I I do. I mean that that's another reason possibly I had in my mind when I started making a VCO and a filter is like if I was to make a synth, I'd need a VCO and a filter. Um, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Just uh, nudging you in, in, in It would be nice. I mean, I am a total sucker for a big slab of analog polysynth. Um, it, it would be 
great to make at least one um, in my lifetime. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I think the challenge, the challenge in building uh, something larger is also in the design itself, in the interaction, in, in the user experience. Mm. When you're creating a module, it's, it's a fairly easy uh, problem to solve because you're just solving this little thing here. Yeah. Maybe it has three features, five features, or maybe a hundred. Uh, but bottom line, you're pretty much constrained to this is a small thing that needs to be in this context. Yeah. When you're creating a larger thing, then there is more complexity that comes into like, where do you actually fit everything? What should you cut off? Like, what is the purpose of this thing when it lives on its own? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And I guess the other thing I, I love to do um, is is have a, like a platform on which I can endlessly iterate. Um, so to, to lock something down like a big, probably fairly expensive product that's locked down and I can't suddenly decide, actually, mm. wouldn't it be great if it did that? Um, that's kind of scary. But, you know, I, I got over that. Making the jump from doing software originally to doing hardware, that was a huge hurdle to go from fix anything at any time to commit thousands of pounds up front before mm. you even know if you've got a product. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've safely over that bump now. I think I've got a little bit more confidence in in bringing hardware to market. Yeah, um, uh, you come from from software development. Yeah, I mean, I I was a hobbyist electronics guy when I was twelve, you know. Um, but all my working life has been software, um, sort of video effects to begin with, then games for a long time, and then kind of um, feature film animation kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy in a software environment. Um, but but on, uh, the, on, on the programming side of feature yeah. film animations? Yeah, uh, like tool development. Sorry? Um, tool development, so like writing the mm -hmm. software that the animators use to animate it. Um, yeah. Uh, so basically you could build a blender. Yeah, I, I worked. I worked for Alias, so I, I was working on Maya, mm. um, and and others, but mainly Maya. So that was all good fun. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it was and it was a great. It would have been somebody's dream career <laughs> for sure, but I really wanted to go and make some weird little electronic things, so I did that. But you know, having the things like the Distings now uh, and being able to spend my time coding those, is such fun and so much like programming a playstation um even even the like assembly language is the same so having that experience of having to write very high performance code on a very constrained system uh, by any kind of modern standard uh is good experience to have but it, yeah. it's 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 something i really enjoy I mean, you don't have to worry about whether whatever big company is going to change the API and screw over all your plugins. Um, it's like you have built this thing and it will never change unless you change it. And you can just sit there and tweak every last cycle and every last byte out of the RAM. And that's good fun. Yeah. Now I can actually see quite a lot of, like it actually makes quite a lot of sense that you, you've built uh, these high performance uh, tools Mm. And then he went into creating something like the Disting. Yeah, I mean, there was a, a fair gap between those two things. But yeah, it was, I had that experience to draw on, like years of experience working on large software projects and large teams and highly optimized embedded code. So yeah, it all kind of feeds into, you know, your whole life funnels into wherever you are now. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was it's a good experience to have. Where do you see yourself developing further in the coming in the coming years or coming months? In a kind of personal development way, or in a kind of well, it seems process, like it, or it seems like it's intertwined. But feel free to just jump into whatever you want. Um, I'm not sure. I think I'm quite 
happy with where I've got to. Um, there's so much more I can and want to put into the Disting EX, then that's I don't that that's just gonna uh, occupy me quite happily for a little while. There's I want to get into some slightly more advanced DSP kind of code on the Disting EX, which a lot of the a lot of the I mean obviously I posted all the Disting four stuff to the EX and put some more interesting code in there as well, but all the code in there is running in a kind of Disting Mark IV-ish kind of way, whereas mm. the EX really could do some proper DSP work, uh, which it's not at the moment for all that it is doing, which I'm pleased with. It's it's not it's not doing that. You know, it's, there's no Fourier transforms going on at the moment. There's no FFTs and all that kind of... Sorry, that's... Um, Text messages. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, there's there's no kind of FFT-based DSP stuff going on on the EX at the moment, which I'd like to explore and do some things that that would enable. Um, Analog-wise, like I said, I've got some, got some ideas. Um, I mean, from one point of view, the temptation is to just go through all the analog modules that you would ever have and tick all the boxes so that I can make a full system that says expert sleepers on the box. Whether that actually makes any sense, I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm not going to do anything unless there's at least something novel about it. So I'm unlikely to just say, what what have I not got in the lineup at the moment? I don't have an envelope. So I'm not just going to sit down and make an ADSR probably unless I can find some fundamentally new twist on an ADSR, right? So who knows? Who knows what will happen there? Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, just taking it, you know, I, I, I tend to kind of blunder through life a little bit and do whatever is shiniest at the time. And mm. usually that works out. If you're thinking about... Uh, people who are just starting out and building their own instruments mm. uh, at the moment, where would you wish for them to go? Like if you were oh. thinking about the future of this industry. Oh, I see. Um, I, what would I like to see? Um, I don't think the world needs many more MIDI controllers. Honestly, that seems to be something that you get a lot of. And there are a lot, a lot of MIDI controllers. Um, and like novel instruments and stuff. And I don't know, I'm a bit skeptical of all these kind of new instruments because they're only instruments for people who dedicate huge amounts of time to learn to play them properly. Um, whereas a lot of the time I think they're just bought as the kind of the new shiny thing that gets fiddled with and put on Instagram for a few weeks. So I have a healthy skepticism for anybody who's claimed to have invented a new instrument um, and not just calling it a MIDI controller, um, which isn't to say these things don't exist. What would I like to see? I'd like I'd like a few more of the kind of thing that I've I've just done, I guess, just like... Squelchy analog things. Um, that's what I could see myself using there. But I don't know. The, there's so much. There's so much potential, and there's so many things that I'm never going to think of. That I just want somebody to think of something new, really. You know, not not rehash something. Come up with something that's genuinely new, however simple. And then that would be awesome. That. That that is the goal, but I I want to talk a little bit about the fact that uh, what you just described that people are releasing all sorts of instruments that would just sit for like a couple of weeks and and yeah. that's it. Like if I'm thinking about um, like a le legendary instruments like the Mini Moog, for instance, yeah, um, people had to learn how to work with them. I mean, also oh, yeah. with Ableton, you had to work. Yeah, like. For us, it's kind of like, yeah, I've been, I, I did this for like, like 20 years ago, but um, 
it's interesting to think about someone who would start with something that is I don't know, a Mangchi instrument and be like, I'm going to muster this thing and then I'm going to go from there to a Seat Lombardo and then from there I'm going to go to, like, I'm not really even going to touch in a modular synth. I'm actually going to, I'm going to explore different complex designs of, of instruments that are really not conventional. Yeah, I'm all for that. I mean, that what you're, so when you say, people like to master the mini moog as an instrument yeah that's obviously true but i guess what what i'm trying to what i guess my fundamental skepticism is people who make a midi controller and just say it's an instrument because it's not it's a controller and it's only an instrument at all if you combine it with something that's going to make some sound and then are those two things deeply intertwined or are you really just pressing note on off information and maybe some cc's and how and it's the unless you can pick it up and make us make it some music with it i don't call that an instrument i call that part of something so yeah, yeah. if 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 you want to learn very deeply how to use one combination of these things then then yeah great I, I i don't i'm not knocking that but i think a controller in itself isn't an instrument Yeah, well, a controller is uh, needs the the work of the musician to make it into an instrument. Otherwise, it is just. A well, stack I think of it it knobs. needs it needs whatever it's controlling. A controller without a, something to control is nothing. So unless yeah, you have both, you, and then the, the musician. If you think about Ableton Push, for instance, would you consider this an instrument? No, I wouldn't. I'd say that's a controller. But if it's a control, then it's not an instrument just because it doesn't have a brain. No, I say because if if you give me a push, I can't make music with it. If you give me a push and live and some instruments and samples, I can make music with it. But then what I can make very much depends on what sounds and samples and whatever I've got loaded up. But if you just give me a push, I can't do anything. Well, you give you give me a mini moog, I can make a tune. Yeah. Yeah, you give me a so rolly seaboard. I can't make a make a tune. You give me a Harkin Continuum. I can make a tune because that's got its own sound engine. Yeah, I I, I, I see your point. I see your point. But at the same time, if if I'm looking at something like the rolly, then it, I cannot think about this as just um, like. I always have this comparison between a device and an instrument. Mm -hmm. A device for me is something that doesn't really inspire you to make, um, to perform in a different way, to play in a different way, to compose in a different way. Um, but I don't really care if it has a brain or it doesn't. What I care about is how novel is the interaction mm -hmm. and, and what kind of interaction, what does the interaction, what does the design uh, what is the design informed by and how does it actually alter the way that I perform? So I'm thinking about a modular synth, for instance, just the fact that I can patch things together in a way that I could not uh, before, this changes the way that I play music. Sure. And if I think about Roly, I don't really care what instrument, what uh, what um, VST I'm going to connect it to. I see it as an instrument simply because it allows me to control things in a different way that will just make me play in a different way. So then it becomes like a performative device, which is yeah. an instrument. Yeah. It's it's part of an instrument. It, it's not yeah. an instrument, I say. But anyway, the, the, no doubt we could argue this till the cows come home. But if we're talking about what I would like people to be developing, yeah, something new. Part of an instrument would be great as long as it's, can be shown to be useful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, I, I, the older I get, the more kind of black and white I tend to get in my statements, and it, it's not necessarily endearing. So, um, yeah. But, but I think it's, it's good. Bottom line, what you're saying is it needs, it needs to be noble. It needs to be interesting. Yeah. People should, like, we want to see things that will allow people to uh, perform. Like, Taking it the completely different direction, um, if 
if everybody would just work with analog circuits and make the most beautiful oscillators and filters, we are not going to move that far. Yes, it has the brain inside, but in terms of an instrument, I would be like, yeah, okay, we have so many of these that we want to see things that will allow a different kind of performance. Um, I wouldn't necessarily put all, all my eggs in the performance basket. I think there's, there's a lot of scope for things that make kind of studio-based sound nicer and more interesting. I mean, let's face it, that's where most people are making their music. Mm -hmm. it's great if you can perform it's great if you can perform live it's great if you can can perform even if it's kind of live in the context of a track you're making in your bedroom but there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that i don't feel falls into the performance category that still makes really nice interesting sound oh absolutely so, I, I mean when i'm when i'm saying performance i actually don't really mean performance in like a live setting more okay. like the way that you interact with it is really tactile Okay. Like if I'm looking at this thing, for instance, it's more of uh, a very. Um, it comes with 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 a very specific thought. It's like I need this now, yeah, and then I'll just I'll program this to make to make it what I want. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with something like um, uh, Pamela's new workout. Mm -hmm. I don't really, I, I don't swap uh, swipe it, you know. Like I, th I think like... I think um, I think ALM would argue with that. They they they, they do consider AL, uh, the Pamela's as a performance thing because you can. It's got quite an intuitive, even though it's got like menus and stuff. You can quite intuitively get in there and change your patterns and subdivisions and clocks and stuff. And I know Matthew's, you know, said on more than one occasion that it, it is a performative tool because it's all about driving the fundamental rhythms of your of your Absolutely. modular and you can very easily change it on the fly in a performance yeah. kind of style so not necessarily i'm nitpicking with that particular example but yeah there are things in modular that serve a function and um it's yeah i i i i agree i think i i think it's a matter of uh, uh semantics because uh, when I'm when I'm talking about performance, I'm more thinking about like um, a, a, a filter or or anything that I would just like tweak and change. And when I'm looking at um, uh, Pamela's new, new workout, I look at it as more like a compositional tool. Okay. I I I can modify it with like I would actually connect CV to it and I would control it, but it's more of yeah, I don't know how to how to explain it. It's something that I that I design I designed the instrument with it, right? But I I don't really touch it after I designed it. And if you look at people on 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 YouTube, for instance, uh, playing with uh, with Pamela's new workout, you actually see that it it sits there, or even two of them, mm -hmm. and they will all say, "Without this, I cannot like nothing will work hmm. because it makes it makes everything yeah. so so easy. You can." Like not not even easy, but just like it makes so much sense. Otherwise, how would you do things? How would you trigger things? And how would how would you make progressions or changes? Um, but when I'm thinking about a performance, I'm really thinking about the um, um, like the things that I would make sure are not cluttered with cables around them. So I'll be able to get really quickly to them, yeah. make changes, and and discover surprises. Yeah. I understand. Sorry, I, um, I'm just trying to backtrack to see if there was a question. No, I understand. I understand where you're coming from with that. You definitely, yeah, you want to reach out and touch that filter. Um, yeah, what, what, trying to think what I do when I'm playing with a modular. Most of all, what do I do? Yeah, what, certainly, what do you do? certainly mess around with filters. Uh, it tends to be. What let's think. Once I've got, I mean, my my use of modulars in music, uh, certainly in a live context, is very old school. In that, what I've probably set up in the in a rack is a couple of two or three monosynths and a couple of sequences. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not doing big complex generative west coast kind of stuff i'm basically having it 
burbling along playing a riff or a bass line. Um, oh, and there's somebody started up with a chainsaw. So that's that's great. Um, uh, oh, okay, that's good. Um, sorry, yeah, so what am I doing? So yeah, so when I'm performing with it, I'm probably, um, I'm mucking about with filters, I'm probably mucking about with envelope times, I'm probably certainly messing about with sequences, things like the um, the Chaos Moskva, that kind of thing, you mm. know, make it longer, shorter. You'd, so I'd use my own um, FH2 um, with a MIDI keyboard into the FH2 running the arpeggiator. In there's a kind of mode that's not really an arpeggiator, it's more of a kind of on-the-fly sequencer kind of feel, so I, I use that quite a lot. Um, what else am I doing? That's probably a lot of it, actually. Yeah, definitely filters, envelope times, sequences. Bit of repatching if I really feel the need to change the sound drastically, but um, that kind of does me. I guess I should say when, when I'm playing, when I'm performing, the modular is only kind of a third of or even less of what's going on. So I don't feel like I have to make this completely standalone coherent thing and just in the modular because uh, there's, mm. there's other stuff happening. So uh, that that kind of extent does for me. So, so you're playing with a computer as well or with... So if it's just me, it'll be me with a laptop, a modular and some kind of woodwind, probably a bass clarinet or something. Um, if I'm in my band, uh, dark room, then it's all of that, plus a guitarist who is doing his own thing, but also coming into the laptop so I can make loops of what he's playing. Mm. Um, um, and that, you know, by the time I've got a four or five guitar loops going, that's a large part of the sound that's happening at any one time. Um, mm. and the, the, the synth stuff kind of comes and goes, um, uh, yeah. What do you think about transitions in the modular space? Like it seems um, with, with like live music, the easiest thing to do is to make a transition, go from, from a, this chord progression to this chord progression, or just, uh, smash the, the, the symbol and move on. Yeah. How how do we how do we make modular more like I like a well c contrary to what you've just said I mean I totally get where you're coming from if you're in a I guess normal band then yeah but um, given what I've just described about how we normally work where you've typically got a big soundscape going on that's maybe taken five minutes to build up mm. transitions has always been a nightmare for us even before modulars are involved in the uh, equation because you know we're not we're not playing short songs we're we're improvising for 20 30 minutes at a time and build something up over a long period and it's always been quite hard to to make transitions um but yeah i totally get where you're coming from in the modular i guess my solution in that normal context has been to just stop using the modular for a little while and yeah. then bring it back again with something else because there's so much else going on if the modular stops for a bit while i repatch that's fine so i don't i don't know how people actually manage transitions on a module i can only imagine they just have multiple sub patches going on that they turn on and off or yeah. some software-based thing doing some of it that can be recalled by hitting patch recall um i don't know i don't have a lot of a lot of input to offer on that one because i don't personally do it yeah it's it's just a it's just a side note it's an interesting thing to to think about because i think it's one of these things that could be uh, uh novel to to explore if we're thinking about the future yeah um it will also change, just like you said, these transitions are not necessarily that needed because of the style of music. Um, yeah. So that's just also something to, to keep in mind. I think people, there's, there seems to be this expectation that a modular synth act will 
start playing, play for 20, 30, 40 minutes and then stop. Like no band does that. Why can you not stop in between songs? Why can you not play a four minute song, stop, repatch and start play another song? Why do you have to have this endless, seamless transition? It's kind of confounding the, the modular synth player with the DJ, which they're not. Yeah. So why, why do we need seamless transitions? I would say. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think that when, when you're looking at live bands like rock bands, then the transition happens in the song itself. Um, but, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's a very different kind of, of track of performance of, of anything. Mm. Yeah. But, um, I think this was really interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I learned quite a bit in this conversation. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm known for, uh, for, for trying to make, uh, standalone instruments, although I'm, I mean, yeah, make standalone instruments mm. and I have a, <laughs> you were right behind me and that's yeah. pretty much like, well, it's, it's standing alone on the shelf back there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but uh, but uh, but it is interesting because uh, it it adds uh, different perspectives to how how we design instruments in general. Uh, that this thing was actually one of the first module uh, modules that I bought okay. without knowing anything about uh, about Eurorack. It just made a lot of sense because I felt like yeah, I just I just have eighty four HP and I need to be able to just when I look for something just to have it. And this was like the perfect solution for that. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see what happens when we're growing and, and people have these massive devices or like there is a rise in building standalone instruments as well. And all this stuff is really intriguing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just going to agree with you there. I, I can't think of anything pithy to add. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah thanks so much i really appreciate it it was yeah, a very no interesting conversation we kind of yeah i can honestly tell you where, where the recorded bits but is is the whole thing considered the podcast interview i thought we were warming up and then we slipped into it but yeah, yeah uh yeah i am probably just going to cut it from the uh from the point you talked about your vision i guess okay yeah that seems yeah. like a fine place to yeah okay. yeah yeah that's cool yeah, nice. Nice talking yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, nice talking to you as well. Thank you.